You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. Today, I am so excited and thrilled to have Candace Davis with me. I've known Candace for several years now. I'm not even going to try to figure out the math and pinpoint a point in time that I met you, Candace, because I don't even remember how long it's been. But I'm so thrilled to have you here today. And before we jump into the juicy topic and conversation that we're going to have today, would you mind just taking a couple minutes to share with my listeners a little about you? No, no problem at all. So I'm Candace L. Davis, and I am a happy wife and mother of two adult daughters and grandmother to one brand new beautiful granddaughter, the light of my life. I've spent the last 15 years or so working in publishing in various ways. So I've worked as a ghostwriter and I've written 18 books for myself and my clients and mostly under my pen name and for clients. And I work as an author coach and a book editor. And I really love helping people share their knowledge and tell their story in a book. Thank you, Candice. I love that. And I'm just going to do a shameless plug here for you. Seriously, (laughs) you guys, if you want to write a book, need help with it, touch Um, base with Candace because she is literally the bee's knees when it comes to all this. That's a lovely plug. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I just adore you, Candace. Thank you, Tish. Um, So, you know, it's funny. I I mentioned that I've known you for a really, I, like I said, I don't even know how long, but I've known you for quite a while. And we first met in the online world, but I've been at, at events and stuff with you offline. Yeah. And something really like, I don't even know, like something just sparked within me when I was reading the form that you submitted to be a guest on the podcast, because I was like, oh my gosh, here I have known this woman for so long, but yet I don't know any of this stuff that we're going to talk about today. So it was just like, how many of my other like online friends do I know but yet I haven't really like touched the surface and had like deep, deep, deep conversation with them because we're going to talk about some pretty heavy stuff today. And it's stuff that I don't think, like in my opinion, it's stuff that is not talked about enough in this day and age. So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about depression and Candace, I, like I said, I was just shocked when I read this. I'm like, I had no idea that she, you know, went through depression and all that as a, a young woman and yeah. um, even as an adult. So would you just, can you like pinpoint or just tell my listeners, like, do you remember a specific point in time when you first like dealt with depression? I do. And it's funny because, I mean, it is hard to have these conversations online, right? Like, how would we, where would this come up when we're talking in Facebook groups and things like that? And then when we see each other, we're at conferences and we're having fun, we're learning and we're making new business connections. So it is kind of rare to have the opportunity to talk about these things. But the very first time that I dealt with depression, I was in middle school and I didn't know it was depression. I probably didn't realize it was depression until I was in high school and started seeing a psychologist and we sort of talked about my past experiences. But it was a, I mean, it's a difficult time for anyone, right? Middle school. I'm actually homeschooled my daughters with the intention of not letting them go to middle school because middle <laughs> school was so traumatic for me. I was like, you can go to high school, but you're not going to middle school. But 
you know, my younger sister was very ill. She's 10 years younger than I am. And she had a cancer diagnosis that was supposed to be terminal. She's still here. So that turned out really well, but, um, but it was a, a, a very aggressive type of cancer and they were able to get, um, get her into an experimental uh, treatment that ended up saving her life. But that put a lot of pressure and stress on our family, of course. And my parents were very much involved in, in just taking care of her. She had a lot of needs and I was going with her to chemotherapy and things like that, uh, things of that nature. It was just very stressful in our family. My mother was finishing law school. There was just a lot going on. And then I was one of those kids who was bullied at school. And so there was a group of boys who would literally follow me around school during the day just to call me names. <laughs> so it's like, and I know some of them now I actually ran into one of them here. I don't even think he remembers that because he was just all wonderful and happy to see me when we ran into each other. But I remember it because it was traumatic because I was just a small little kid, you know, just going about my business, kind of nerdy. And they would just follow me around school and taunt me. And when I was growing up, you really didn't tell on people, right? So who was I going to tell? Like, you just, you didn't rat people out. You didn't tell on people. You weren't going to be a snitch. So it really just, the combination of all those things just put me into a really dark, dark, dark space as as an early teenager, you know, in, in early adolescence. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Like I said, I mean, I was so shocked when I was reading this stuff because I was like, I just, I never imagined. Um, well, first, I want to say, you know, thank you, gosh, and thank you, Jesus, that your yeah. sister is still here. Like, that's amazing. It is. Um, and then, like, the whole, you know, being bullied in school. Oh my gosh, I can so relate to that. And kudos to you for like the homeschooling and not letting your kids go to middle school because, oh my gosh, it was a traumatic experience. Yeah, so um, many people say that. I just did not want, want them to deal with that. I was like, this is not going to work for us. Yeah. Yeah, middle school is just such an awkward, like, oh, yeah. I would not want to go back to middle school for no. anything that you can pay me a million dollars to go back to middle school. Nope, <laughs> nope, nope. nope. Um, so, you know, not to take away from the topic of depression and stuff, but I was not surprised when I read that you said, you know, writing books helped you manage your depression and anxiety as an adult because you love books and that's, you know, what you do. So like I said, I was not surprised about that, but can you just expand on that and talk a little bit Um, to our listeners about the experience of writing books and how that did help you manage that depression and anxiety. Yeah. So when I was a kid, it was just reading books. So I, in middle school and even high school, I started writing in high school, but in middle school, it was really just a means of escape. So I read a lot of fiction. I read a lot of like Toni Morrison and Stephen King, like the gamut. There was no, I had no boundaries. If I could get my hands on fiction, I would read it. So that was a good way for me to just sort of escape from my everyday world. And then I started writing more seriously in my early thirties. I was homeschooling the girls, you know, it was kind of that time when on the internet we had like email lists, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't really be, we didn't have Facebook. I don't think or at least I didn't, but you had email lists where you, you know, you'd send an email and everyone on the list would get it and we would have communication that way. And so I joined a couple of fiction groups because I was really struggling. We had moved to Southern California from 
Florida and I didn't know a single person there. And so it was just me and the girls. I didn't have a job outside of the home. So it wasn't like I was going out to meet people. My husband at the time, he traveled two weeks out of the month. So I was on my own with the girls a lot. And so I would, at that time I wrote fiction and that I would take the anxiety and depression I was feeling and process it through the characters in my work. So it was a good way for me to deal with this sort of, um, chaos of emotions that I was experiencing by allowing my characters to deal with it. I love that. And I totally relate again. I can relate to you so much <laughs> about the, you know, reading books to escape reality. Yeah. Except for, you know, my book of choice, books of choice when I was younger were all those ugh, fancy schmancy romance novels, you know, <laughs> I read those too, Tish. If, if it kept still long enough, I read it. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like books were just like a way to escape the reality of everyday stuff that was going on around me. So I really like that you touched on that because I think so many people can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and I just had something pop into my head and you do not have to answer it if you don't want to. Um, so I know for me personally, when I was dealing with depression, because I've also got a history with it, yeah. there were a couple times in my life that I was suicidal. Yeah. And I, like for me personally, and I don't say this in a light, you know, sort of fashion because suicide and depression are very serious things. But for me, I've always said that I'm so thankful that even though I like had all those suicidal thoughts... I was so afraid to actually like pick up the bottle of pills and swallow them or, you know, a more severe drastic type measure. So, um, and again, if you don't want to answer, you do not have to, I was just curious, you know, did you also, when you were going through the depression, have you ever had those suicidal thoughts or were you Absolutely. suicidal? Uh, and I'm, I don't mind talking about that because I, I don't want anyone who's listening, who feels that way. I don't want them to feel like they're alone. And I'm like you, I mean, I can remember a very specific instance in high school where it wasn't that I wanted to die. I definitely didn't want to die. I just did not see how I could continue to live with that much pain. And so I was sitting in English class and I was literally writing out what I wanted my parents to do with my things after I was gone, because I could just see myself being gone. And it would be the end of the pain that I was feeling that I hadn't been able to really express to anyone. And so I was writing out that list and I'm, I'm like 15 or 16. So I didn't have a lot of stuff, right? It wasn't a lot to give away, but I had my close friends and I had my little sister and I wanted them to have things that they would remember me by. And so I had written it and then I kind of thought, okay, this doesn't make sense. And I threw it away. But one of my friends, and I know exactly who it was to this day. And I don't know if I've ever thanked her, but I thank her now. She took it out of the trash. She had seen over my shoulder what I was writing. And she took it out of the trash and she took it to, there was only, I went to a, um, a, a, a private prep school and there was only one black woman on staff. And she took it to that woman who was like a mentor to me, who called my parents. My parents um, got me into counseling. And I was very fortunate that I had parents who were always very open-minded. They did not come from that background where uh, psychiatry or psychology was stigmatized. And so they got me into counseling right away. And it was, I was very clear in my mind that I did not want to die. Like I'm afraid to die, but I had, at, at that age, I was afraid to die, but I had hoarded like my mother's old prescription pills because I just thought if I got to a point where 
the pain got to where I couldn't take it and I felt like I was close to that, then I would use those pills. Now, this is before the internet. I have no idea what those pills really were. I never had a chance to look them up. But in my teenage brain, I just kept thinking there had to be a way out of that pain, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I definitely know what it's like to feel like you just want that pain to end. Oh my gosh. I like, it was very emotional, like listening to you talk about that because holy Toledo. I mean, it just takes me back to, I felt so much of the same stuff. Yeah. And, you know, thank you for your friend that saw what was going on and, you know, was able to go and take that to somebody in authority or, you know, that could reach out and help you because who knows, you know, you may not be here today had, you know, that not happened. And that's just like, that's so important and something else that I want to touch on. You know, like I said, at the beginning, I feel like people are starting to talk about more about depression and anxiety and mental health nowadays, but I still feel like it's just barely touching the surface. There's such like a stigma around, you know, if you suffer from anxiety or depression, like it's just viewed as, well, she's a hot mess and she can't freaking, you know, handle life or anything. And right. It's, you know, obviously coming from dealing with stuff like that myself, I think, God, how sad that, you know, here we are in this day and age and people still react like that. But, you know, you touched on um, like your friend taking that to the woman on staff who was able to, you know, reach out to your family and stuff and like reaching out for help is so like, I want to touch on that because I feel like sometimes people feel embarrassed Oh yeah. To reach out for help. Like, because again, you know, all the negative stuff that is portrayed in society and from those around us about the depression and stuff, I feel like people feel like they have to hide it. And then, you know, there's so many instances that I can think. And of course the first one off the top of my head happened to be a celebrity, but you know, Robin Williams, um, look what happens when we're not talking about this stuff, you know, death, And that is like, it's just so sad. So I really want, you know, like people to understand that it's not a weakness if we're suffering from depression or anxiety or any other mental illness, because Lord knows there's all sorts of them out there. Um, So let's chat a little bit, Candice, about, you know, the whole feeling free to get therapy or life coaching or, you know, medication. For me personally, I'm not on medication any longer. There was a time in my life that I was on it for several years, but, you know, let's just chat about that because like you said, when you were sharing, um, I don't want my listeners to feel alone. If anybody is going through anything like this, that's the last thing we want you to feel is that you're alone because you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel very fortunate. I mean, so in the black community, there, okay, so the black community has a, it's largely Christian. And for many generations, we've always been told, well, just pray about it. If you're yes. having a problem, just, just take it to Jesus. Just leave it at the altar. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But I also believe that the resources that we have, whether it's psychiatrists, psychologists, medication, meditation, these are all resources we've been blessed with. And that to not use those resources would be disrespectful of me, of the blessings that I've been given. And I feel really fortunate that my parents never had a negative attitude about any kind of help that 
we might need to get, we being me. Like, so when I, when I was depressed in high school, they had no problem sending me to see a psychologist. Since that time, you know, I've had, I haven't really suffered from depression very much in the last several years, but as the depression has gone down, the anxiety has gone up. So at different times, I've been on medication for depression. I've been on medication for anxiety. I saw the same therapist for seven years when I lived in California. And if I hadn't moved, I would have kept seeing her because she was wonderful. Um, I have a life coach right now. I take I have a prescription for anxiety medication that I take on an as-needed basis. I am willing to use whatever tools are available to me. I read a great book called The Ultra Ultra Mind Solution by Dr. Mark Hyman, and he talks about different lifestyle choices you can make to deal with different mental illnesses. And I like that you use the term mental illness, by the way, because I find that people don't want to label things like depression and anxiety because they're so common as mental illnesses, right? They want to reserve that label for things like, oh, the more extreme things like maybe bipolar disease or schizophrenia, but they are mental illnesses. They're diseases of the brain. And I wouldn't judge someone if they said, well, I have high blood pressure or I have you know, a cancer diagnosis or I have diabetes. I wouldn't judge them for that. So why would I judge someone who has a, an illness of their brain? There's a brain chemistry just like all the other systems in our body work together, there's a brain chemistry that can be thrown off. Sometimes it's genetic, sometimes it's environmental, sometimes it's situational. There's nothing to judge about that. That's no different than someone who has a physical illness. So I am willing to use, and at different times, different things work better for me. So at certain times in my life, I do feel like I need to be on medication. At other times, I have my life in order. <laughs> so my lifestyle, you know, I'm, I'm working out consistently. I'm eating really well. I'm not drinking too much coffee. I'm not drinking too much alcohol, all of those things. And so I don't really feel like I need anything because my life is very balanced. But you know that as entrepreneurs, our lives are often not very balanced. And so when I get to that place, if I need counseling, I will go to counseling. If I need medication, I will take the medication. I, I am not um, ashamed of any of that. I'm not embarrassed by any of that. I don't want anyone else to feel ashamed or embarrassed if they need that kind of help, because it's really no different than saying, hey, I have an infection. I need an antibiotic, right? That's no, it's no different. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> like, and when you were talking about the whole, um, you know, like the Christian thing, just pray about it. Yeah. Oh my freaking gosh. Yeah. Like yeah. I can attest to that too, because I'm also a Christian and you know, back when I was, oh man, a whole host of stuff going on, the depression, the anxiety, the alcoholism, yeah. um, you name it, a gazillion things, you know, I heard things like, well, you're not praying enough or, Ugh. you know, you're sinning, you're doing something wrong. And so, oh, we could have a whole stinking episode yeah. about that because don't even get me started on that. I don't even want to step on the soapbox about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's dangerous though. I, I find it to be dangerous because if someone is really suffering from depression and if God forbid they are feeling suicidal, just telling them to pray about it does them such a disservice and leaves them dangling out there all by themselves when there are so many ways that they can get help or someone who's having panic attacks on a regular basis. Great, you should pray about it, just like you should pray about anything else in your life. But to say that that should be enough and to make people feel bad if they want to use some of the help that's available to them, I just think it's really, really dangerous and it does people a great disservice. 
I so agree with that, Candace. And I think about it in the terms of, you know, God created each and every one of us uniquely. We all yeah. have our own gifts and talents. So there's medical professionals out there who, you know, God gave them the gift and the smarts to be doctors and things like that. So um, why are, you know, we not as Christians being like looking at something like that from the, the standpoint of, okay, well, God has given these people these gifts and resources to be able to help us. Yeah. So we need to be utilizing them, you know, and like I said, I mean, we could have a whole, <laughs> a whole episode about this because it's just a huge issue that, you know, I have seen in my own life and obviously you, because you yeah. know, we're chatting about it. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that I want to talk about before we wrap up is the power of writing and journaling. Yeah. So like journaling has been a part of my life since I was a little girl. <laughs> and well, of course, you know, back when I was like in middle school, they called them diaries back then. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and you have, did you have a lock for yours? Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Totally taking a trip down memory lane here. <laughs> um, but so yeah, like writing in a journal, diary, whatever you want to call it, has been such a big part of my life. And, you know, for me specifically, I remember like the first year that I was in the AA program, oh my gosh, I like went through like three journals. Oh, wow. <laughs> because yeah, I had so much stuff in my head that I needed to write and get out of my head. And I was working, you know, like with a sponsor and also a counselor and stuff too. But there's just, there's something about writing things and getting it out of my head. And as I'm writing, like things can start to make so much more sense than if I'm yeah. just like talking about it. And when you were talking about, you know, you're writing that letter because you were having those suicidal thoughts and you're writing your letter about the things that you want done with you know, your possessions and stuff. Um, and then, you know, you realized, but I don't want to die. Like, I think about that, you know, when, because in my suicidal times, it was pretty bad when I was in AA for the first several months. I don't remember how long, but I just, I was not dealing with life and I definitely was not dealing with life as a sober person. And I was yeah. so overwhelmed. Like the only thing that I could think of is I just want to die because I don't want to deal with this stuff. But as I began to write things, you know, it was like, yeah, that's silly. I definitely don't want to take my life over something like that. Um, so like, what are your thoughts? I mean, hello, we've just had a whole conversation about, <laughs> you know, writing books has helped you manage depression and stuff. But what would you say to my listeners? Um, you know, for example, if somebody is not like journaling, and they're like, oh, journaling is silly, you know, could you touch on that a little bit? Like, what are your thoughts about that? Oh, wow. Yeah, I have so many thoughts about that. So they're, they're, in my lifetime, I've done a lot of different kinds of journaling. So when I was a young person, like, you know, middle school and high school, it was a lot of complaining. My journal was probably just like this great thing happened. And these terrible things happened. There was no <laughs> in between, right? Everything was so extreme. Yeah. And so uh, even when my daughter, my older daughter did a writing program for girls in LA called um, Write Girl, and you would, we would go to their reading every year. And it was really just a litany of complaints, right? <laughs> All the terrible things, because, you know, that's where your mind is at that age, right? Everything is so heightened 
in your life. But as I grew up, at some point, I tried to do gratitude journaling, and it just irritated the life out of me. I think this is when um, Oprah was first talking about it back in the day on her talk show. And I hated it because I was in a bad place in my life, and I'm sitting here trying to write these things that I'm so grateful for, but I didn't feel grateful. <laughs> so because I'm I did giggling because I relate. <laughs> oh, thank yes. God I'm not the only one who's felt like this. So no. <laughs> so I was I would be writing it, and I would just be angry, right? So I'm writing this gratitude journal. I'm angry. So I just you know my suggestion is if you don't feel grateful you don't need to write a gratitude journal it's okay like if you can't if you don't feel the emotion of gratitude it's not going to really do you any good in that moment anyway um i had done morning pages if you've ever read julia julia cameron's the artist's way she talks about morning pages i, I broke all of her rules for how you're supposed to do it but it's basically just a stream of consciousness in the morning where you just dump out everything that's on your mind so you can focus on your creative process and doing things like that and now at this point, I kind of just really process my thoughts in my journal. So it's almost as if I were going to write about a situation to someone else. But by the time I finish writing it, I usually have processed it and figured it out at the end. And I do sometimes do gratitude journaling type of thing. But if I'm not feeling a spirit of gratitude, I'm not going to do it because there's just no benefit in that at all. And I really can't fake the spirit of gratitude. So sometimes I just need to go through and do what I call like process writing, where I'm actually writing as if I were talking to someone about a situation. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's not. It's just a decision I have to make or whatever. And by the time I'm finished writing, I usually have gotten to the other end and discovered what it was that I was trying to figure out. I don't have to necessarily take it to my life coach or to my poor beset upon husband who has to hear this stuff from me all the time. I can just <laughs> process it on the page a lot of times. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. I love how you mentioned all that. Um, because yeah, that whole gratitude thing, when you're first in the AA program, you know, finding little things that you're thankful for is huge. And I remember, you know, like trying to sit down because I was told that it was recommended that I would find three things every morning I was thankful for and three things every night so that I was starting my morning with gratitude and ending my day with gratitude. And there were times that I was pissed. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, no, I have nothing to be thankful for today. <laughs> and yeah, so like forcing it, I totally agree. If you're not feeling it, don't force it. And like the process writing that you mentioned, I love that idea because sometimes I don't journal now as nearly often as I used to. Um, so sometimes it's just literally a brain dump. I have so much in my head. I just need to get it out. And I know that it's stuff that doesn't need to be ran by my business coach or, you know, a friend or my mom or the boyfriend or something. So um, just being able to get it out on paper and maybe there's something that I need to do with something that came out, you know, during that process, maybe it is something that I need to end up sharing with the boyfriend or with the business coach, but generally it's just kind of like a brain dump, just getting yeah. all that crap out. Um, and Candace, oh my gosh, I feel like we have only touched the surface <laughs> on all this. I feel like we could talk all day about all this. Um, but just to kind of wrap it up, is there one thing that you just want to leave the listeners with today to let them, you know, if they're struggling with depression or anxiety, and I know we talked a lot about all, all this already, but is there just one thing that you just want to leave them that's going to um, like kind of make them feel encouraged or hopeful? 
Yeah, there's, I would just want to say that there's always a solution. So whether you're dealing with depression or anxiety, sometimes you try something and it doesn't work and you feel like, okay, I can't, this, what is the point? This doesn't work, but that's okay. You have to find what works for you, but ultimately you will find something if you keep trying different things, whether it's medication, counseling, lifestyle changes, whatever it might be, do not give up because there's a solution for that every single time for every single person. Yes, that's so good. Um, And what I would leave them with is, again, don't feel embarrassed or ashamed that you're struggling with the depression or anxiety or having these suicidal thoughts, um, because it's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about. And please, you know, reach out to somebody. If you're ashamed or embarrassed to reach out to somebody in your family, reach out to a counselor or um, a hospital. I mean, there's so many resources out there. And heck, you can find me online and reach out to me and I will do whatever I can in my power to help you however I can. Yeah. Um, And then Candice, again, I just want to thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation today. And like I said, I feel like we haven't even like (laughs) dug deep into it. Like I feel like we could go forever but I want to respect your time as well as my listeners. So before we hang up, um, can you just tell my listeners how they can find you online? Sure. They can find me at CandiceLDavis.com and it's I-C-E. I'm an ice, not an ace. And you can also find me at Candice L. Davis on Instagram or Facebook. All right. Thank you. And I will be sure to have all your links and everything in the show notes so that they can click through there too. Thank you so much, Candace. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with those that could use a message of hope, love, and transformation.